You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest today on Preaching Source is H.B. Charles, Jr. He's the pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, and he's the author of several books, uh, including On Preaching and On Pastoring, and I have to confess he is one of my favorites among the young preachers in the Southern Baptist Convention. H.B., welcome to Preaching Source. Thanks for having me. It's a joy to be here. Now, you're on campus at Southwestern Seminary this week for the Text-Driven Preaching Conference. Where did you first encounter the term text-driven and at what point in your ministry would you say that you began to be a text-driven expository preacher? Sure. So I am not sure where I first heard the term, but my familiarity with the term is associated to the associated with the work here at Southwestern Seminary. I uh, yesterday, preparing to leave, I was in the office with a couple of uh, our staff people, and someone asked me, what is text-driven preaching? I um, answered by asking, do you know what the word evangelical means? And we started talking about the meaning of the word. Um, so when you hear on the news the word evangelical used, is that what you understand it to mean? And they said, absolutely not. And I said, well, in a real sense, this is the issue with expository preaching. It is becoming a word that is being kidnapped so that everyone is an expositor, which is dangerous. Uh, I, I like the term, analogy of text-driven preaching, and I'm starting to use it more when I'm having these discussions because also I believe faithful, expository preaching is the most faithful way to preach, but not every faithful preacher is an expositor. Uh, but I do think a broad way, but a very clear and accurate way to talk about uh, what preaching should be is text-driven preaching in as much as something inevitably drives every sermon. It, it may be the pastor's, tri the pastor's vision, and the text is a springboard for him to get his vision across to the congregation. The pastor may be running, raising, trying to raise money <laughs> to get a building built or finished, uh, or maybe politics, or maybe whatever. Something is driving. I've heard sermons where it seems like there's an opening illustration that drives the whole sermon. It seems like he spent more time studying that illustration than he did the text. Something drives every sermon. But if it is faithful preaching, biblical preaching, Christ-centered preaching, the text of God's Word should drive it. Um, I am a student. I would describe myself up as a student of expository preaching, text-driven preaching. Has that always been the case with you in your ministry, or did you have a, a moment or an event or a time when you came to that conviction? My father was a faithful preacher. He was a textual preacher who spent uh, his sermons dealing with the wording of the text, not necessarily the meaning of the text in context. His historical hero was Charles Spurgeon. And my father also was an evangelist at heart, and I shaped his preaching. It's the preaching I was saved under. It was the preaching I uh, was discipled under. And my father was also more of an orator, um, and I was groomed under that kind of preaching. Um, but I knew I couldn't do what my father did. I just never expected to be that 
eloquent in the pulpit. I just viewed his preaching as jazz. And I felt like I needed to learn by the numbers. So I um, found books on preaching as a teenager. Uh, a book by Al Faisal was very important for me. The book that turned the corner for me was Jerry Vines's book on a guide to sermon preparation. And that's where I was really taken with expository preaching. To be honest with you, I am saying this is what I, this is right, but I wasn't hearing this in any of the settings that I was in. And I heard, um, I was invited to a revival at the age of 17 and heard E.K. Bailey preach. And I didn't know what to call what he did. He, he just, to me, I would have told you there, he just explained the text. And I, I said, whatever that is, I want to commit my life to it. Wow. What, what are the benefits to the church of, of expository preaching? Sure. I do not think this is a matter of mere style. I have a conviction that governs me, burdens me, focuses me for preaching. I believe that how we preach is not only communicating truth, but it is also inadvertently teaching people how to study the Bible. So if I have an idea and I come to the pulpit with three, five, seven different texts to prove the predetermined idea that I have already, I may do that successfully, but in terms of my pastoral responsibility to preach the Word, I am teaching by negative example. Um, and I'm teaching my people how to twist Scripture out of context. Um, I think when you, I'm not a golfer, but I believe in this is the key for preaching, you play the, the ball where it lies. And I feel like expository preaching, and particularly consecutive exposition, forces you to do that and to follow the train of thought so that you are um, studying text in context. And I believe it forces you. There, there is no other scenario where right now in my season of my life I would randomly be preaching, picking to preach the baptism of Jesus. I am just starting a, a series through Mark, and it is the next text in the way. And it forces me to deal with subjects as God has set them up in the text. And I think that's healthy, important for the development long haul of a congregation that thinks biblically and thus lives biblically. That's a great analogy. It's like golf. You, you play the ball where it, it, it lies mm -hmm. and you, you preach the text that's next. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I like that. What, uh, what would you describe as the essentials of, of really great preaching? What are the hallmarks of great? Yes. So I have a threefold goal for every sermon. And the third goal is not so much a goal. I just think it is the natural outgrowth, I hope, of the first two. But it is faithfulness to the text, the clarity of the message, and then pas passion in the presentation. So those are basic essentials for me that I am hoping is reflected in my preaching and I'm listening for is the text driving this sermon. And then is, is, you may understand the text, but is there a fog in the pulpit? He's, he's deep in the text so deep that we don't know what in the world he's talking about. 
is it clear? I, really, that, and not even a matter of whether or not they agree with you. That's between them and God. As the herald, you need to clearly represent the message. And I believe we should preach passionately, thirdly. And uh, I mean by that, that you should preach not as a paid consultant, but as a satisfied customer. And I think those are essentials. I also think, especially me growing up in the African-American preaching, I think creativity and imagination in preaching is a mark of great preaching. Handcuffed to the text, of course, so that it is not... um, I think if it's not handcuffed to the text, it becomes entertainment, not preaching. But I began Worsby's book on creativity and imagination in preaching. And very early in that book, he he marks two sermons that make the same point. One leads to the death of the preacher. One leads to a great repentance. It's John the Baptist and Nathan both saying to a king, you should not have committed adultery. Um, and he is suggesting in that book that the difference is the creativity with which Nathan drew David in with a story. But his message is just as severe as what John the Baptist will say to Herod. But he, and I, I have not forgotten those two comparisons, that it is not watering down the message, but it is preaching to convince, and it should use all of the faculties to do that that are available to us. Eloquence, creativity, imagination. I feel like um, humor can be used effectively, uh, you know, as kind of medicine before you stick a blade in for surgery. <laughs> um, and I think uh, I think expositional preaching gets a bad rap, not because of expositional preaching, but because sometimes preachers themselves are boring, and it doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way when you're preaching the Bible. What, in general terms, what what do you think are the most important things that, say, the average preacher could do to improve his preaching? So with the young men around me, one of the things I press for heavily, I'm not saying this is generally all important, and I feel like it is, I had the privilege of going to the hallway in the chapel building and seeing again these sermon manuscript notes, and they are all by great preachers who go at it different. Some are very thorough notes. Some are generally outlines. But I do think, I I encourage the guys to to make an early discipline of writing yourself clear from start to finish. Um, And I feel like if you establish that as a discipline, It'll help you think through what you want to say and think through how you say it. If after you've done that, um, I call myself a manuscript preacher who cheats. I write a full manuscript most weeks. I do not go to the pulpit with anything but a Bible. But I am not butterfly hunting, trying to find words and language and references and illustrations. I feel like um, extemporaneous preaching can be lazy preaching. Um, so on that end, I think a better preacher uh, in that end writes clearly. And I, I think on the other thing I would say is just, I think you just need to read, 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 read. 
I, I hear some young guys and my encouragement I say if I could to them would, would be just to say, just dig deeper. Just dig deeper. There's 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 gold down there. You just gotta dig deeper. Wow. Yep. Wow. Brother Charles, you uh, you were very young when you were called to preach and were young when you first began pastoring a church. What what are some of the challenges that a preacher faces early in, in his ministry? Sure. One one I think has nothing to do with preaching. One is just the developing a pastor's heart. And there needs to be a love for the people that God has called you to preach. I, you know, I, I hear the prophetic preaching. People say we need prophetic preaching. But a lot of that prophetic preaching, I think sometimes is just an excuse to be mean and angry. <laughs> um, there, there's, there needs to be a shepherd's heart of love and concern. Even, I just think, some false doctrine. Um, I have theological convictions that totally reject prosperity preaching. But I also, I know godly people who trust and love God and serve God, and they are sick, and they are without a job. And just being with your people and rejoicing when they rejoice and weeping when they weep, um, I, I think makes you a better preacher. I've always been convinced of the first part of 2 Timothy 4 and 2, preach the word. As I am getting older, I am appreciating more the end of that with long suffering and teaching, with complete patience and teaching. And that's, that, that term is patience with people. Um, I think that's important. The other thing is just a crisis of authority. Um, it is amazing, no disrespect, how many places that I go to preach now and speak, and I have to ask, can y'all get me a podium? Um, a, because I don't like holding anything. I talk with my hands. But also, I'm, I'm in settings where you, you kind of want to relate to people on their level, and people, you don't want to come off as authoritative. So we've removed the pulpit and symbols of authority. Um, but I don't think you can be apologetic about a matter of authority and still be faithful to preach. Because there is this, thus saith the Lord, that you cannot get around. God does not, he gives commandments, not recommendations. And there ought to be the authority of standing on the word of God. And I feel as a new pastor, and I can tell you as a 17-year-old pastor, uh, being introduced at the same time to expository preaching showed me that my authority is not in my credibility, my age, my education, my experience. My authority is in the text. And as much as the text says this, as much as God's word says this, I have the not only the right but the duty to say what the word of God says. If you know, one one guy said, if you know, if you're gonna be a coward, at least hide in the text. <laughs> and the word of God needs to be our final authority. And in, particularly in the, these days, where the authority of Scripture and the exclusivity of Christ are going to be the challenges that pastors are going to be confronted with in the days to come. You, you got to know where you stand and why. You got to stand on the rock. All right, HP, I, I have to insert a personal question here and because it, it really uh, fits where, where you've gone with that answer. 
you, uh, your ordination sermon was preached by the legendary E.V. Hill. Yeah. To, uh, summarize for people, we, we had lunch together today, and I loved hearing this story, but, but tell that story about what E.V. Hill said, because I think it would speak to every preacher, young and old, yeah. as to what the business, the calling, and the craft that we've been, you know, called to take up. Sure. As um, I mentioned, I was called to my first church at the age of 17, the uh, late Dr. E.V. Hill, who pastored the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in L.A., a sister church to ours, preached my installation, and his message was entitled, What Can That Boy Tell Me? And in the classic E.V. Hill flair, he's, you know, what can that boy tell me when my marriage is in trouble? And what can that boy tell me when my child is gone astray? And he spends 40 so minutes going from text to text, talking about the sufficiency of Scripture and ends by declaring that that boy can tell you whatever the Word of God tells him to tell you. And my pastoral ministry was thus launched with an emphatic statement about the sufficiency of God's Word. And the principle I left that night with is, truth is truth whether I experience it or not. And I need, and at now having pastored since 1990, this is, Decades later, now I am married. Now I do have children. Now I have experienced a lot of the highs and lows of life. But what he said then to a 17-year-old preacher applies just as well to the 45-year-old preacher. I, own, I can say and should only say what the Word of God tells me to say. Even at 45, even married at this point almost 20 years, when I stand to preach, they don't need to hear my experience as a husband. Because there may be illustrations for good or for evil there, but my, my personal illustration has no authority. They need to hear what the Word of God says. Oh, that's a great word. Uh, every preacher we know, every really good book we read about the development of the preacher's character urges every preacher to have a daily quiet time alone with God. To share with us a little bit of, about your view of the importance of that, that daily intake of Scripture, not, not studying to preach, to do something, but just to feed your own soul in that daily conversation with God. Talk, talk, give us your perspective on how important that is for preachers. Yeah. Last month, I did a seminar on basically having a daily quiet time for members of our church, but Really, it was an excuse for me to think through it again, to, um, as I start the year, thinking through fresh ways to keep this time not as a routine or a ritual, but as uh, my heart's communion with my Savior. I, I think it's, you're right, every preacher says it, every book mentions it, but I don't think it's emphasized enough. I think... Acts 6 and 4 is my analogy to summarize the pastoral ministry, the public ministry of the pastor, prayer and the ministry of the Word. And I divide that into two categories, public prayer and the ministry of the Word and private prayer and the ministry of the Word. Private ministry of the Word is my understanding of pastoral counseling. But our private prayer for the saints but a private prayer, just are keeping our own hearts connected to God. I, I, I feel like all the more that needs to be emphasized. Um, 
hypocrisy, I feel like if you're not, you got to guard your heart as a pastor from hypocrisy because this is why, with all due respect, what you think is not as relevant or anyone else than what my wife thinks. You get up on Sunday and they hear your finished product. My wife sees if I overslept when I should have been. Um, and that kind of accountability is important, I think, for a man of God. But also, more importantly, God sees the private man behind the scenes. And if you're not careful, you can spend all your time focusing on the parts that other people are going to see. You don't want to be put ashamed because you weren't prepared to preach Sunday. But Paul has a high theology of shame in the New Testament. It comes up a lot, but it is not being put to shame for man. It's a concern that he would not be put to shame before God. So I think in that regard, just the guarding of our own soul against sin, against pride, frankly, against discouragement, um, against distraction, all of those things are tied to us maintaining and guarding and prioritizing our personal devotion with the Lord. Um, the first formal setting in which I was taught preaching, uh, Dr. James Bohr, in Southern California was the first homiletics preacher I ever sat under. And he would say to us men that we should be preachers, he said, who are like roots and not like pipes. Water, he says, passes through roots and pipes. As it passes through the pipe, it has no benefit to the pipe. In fact, over time, it corrupts and rots the pipe. But as water passes through the roots, the roots get stronger in the process. And he would tell us to be preachers who are roots, not pipes. And I think the key to that is the preacher's personal devotional time. The time you spend, uh, as uh, the late A. Lewis Patterson would say, in the private chambers of your own praying ground. That, that's just mm -hmm. vital. We've all uh, listened to preachers that, w that we were, you know, happy to listen to. Uh, and all of us have heard preachers that we've struggled to listen to but but what are those qualities of a preacher that's a must-listen-to preacher, just a, a preacher that, you, you know, the room gets quiet when he talks and that, that he, you know, you know there's something deep, there's something profound. What, what's, what are those must-to uh, qualities? Sure. Um, I read something a long time ago, and I don't remember who wrote it, so now I just take credit for the comment. <laughs> but that there are three types of preachers, those that you can— stand to listen to, those that you can't listen to, and those that you must listen to. And uh, I, I want to be the kind of preacher that you must listen to, and I think that's what every, the term I would use for that is a compelling preacher. And I really think 1 Timothy 4.16 is important in that regard, that you guard your life and guard your doctrine. There is a um, the credibility of the preacher, and particularly in the age that we live in, is vital. And that um, you are speaking the truth and that you are speaking it with conviction and with personal persuasion. The interesting thing about the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon, it ends by saying that they were amazed at the teaching of Jesus because he taught with one who had authority, not, not like the scribes and the Pharisees who 
quoted others. They just quoted each other. Um, I, I think a preacher who preaches as one under authority is compelling preaching. I feel like a preacher who has command of his message. Um, in that regard, with I know we're dealing with a different category of communication, but I, I encourage the young guys around me to, to check out the TED Talks. You can't get up to a TED Talk with a manuscript because they believe if this is an important subject, you could talk about it for 20 minutes without having to read it. Um, I, I'm not against... If I use what you need to be clear, don't put style ahead of clarity. But I do think there is something compelling about a man who stands and obviously has con command of his message. I think that that is authoritative preaching, compelling preaching, preaching that draws the listener in. I think a legitimate passion that is not this contrived entertainment, but is a legitimate passion where um, you are, is obviously moved by the truth <laughs> you are preaching, um, is important. I, I think the preaching that knows how to get out of the way and exalt Christ, I think when you get past all of these theological systems and all of these arguments about the intricacies of, I, I feel like if we're not careful, in the name of expository preaching, we got too many guys in pulpits trying to preach sermons to impress their professors. Instead of, instead of, instead of a, the John the Baptist spirit that I need to decrease so that he can increase. Um, yeah, I think those are wow. some marks of good wow. preaching. That's a good word. Our guest on Preaching Source today has been H.B. Charles, Jr., pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. H.B., thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, what a joy. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it.